Hello Breakers, and welcome to the 22nd episode of Project Studio Tea Break. I am Mike Senior, and I'm here with Malteser Specialist John Witten. The legends are true, the rumours are real. I am right here with the one, the only, the mix master that is Michael. J Senior. <laughs> Just took a stab at the middle initial there. How did I do? Michael J Senior. I've, I've decided to switch my initial in, in honour of uh, Back to the Future. Yeah, that's what I was vibing from. Yeah. I thought that sounded strangely good for uh, for off-the-cuff So how is the official year of the Echo treating you? <laughs> well, obviously an exciting time to be alive. We can we can all agree. Following on, of course, as we know, from the official year of the sampler. 20 no 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 19 <laughs> This is now 20. 20. <laughs> You know what? It's been it's been a very good year so far. It's my birthday coming up on a date that I will never reveal to anyone. Um, <laughs> but it is fast approaching. It's a closely guarded secret. It's like the Coke formula. More or less, yes. It's, it's, <laughs> it's gradually killing me, and I don't want anyone to know. Um, I got an early birthday present yesterday. Oh, lovely. I live, as I sometimes go hours at a time without mentioning, I live in Berlin. <laughs> and Rixdorf, our neighbourhood, used to be a tiny little idyllic village before it was swallowed up by Berlin. Ah, yes. So we have a village green. Blimey. And we have a local blacksmith. <laughs> oh, only in Berlin, surely. <laughs> the local blacksmith. We have a local blacksmith. <laughs> but anyhow, I was sent there by my wonderful partner, who I'm going to give a stage name to so that she doesn't get tracked down by super fans. Mm. Much like Harry and Meghan, we need to protect our privacy where we can. So I'm going to call her Julie Andrews. Mm. My wonderful partner, Julie Andrews, got me a beginner's blacksmithing forging course. Uh, okay. So basically, what this means is you found an occupation that you hadn't yet ticked off your list. <laughs> that was yesterday. John hadn't got it ticked off his list. <laughs> you are looking at a callous-handed, you know, worker of the veins of the earth. I am as salt as it gets now, Mike. In, in a result reminiscent of literally as far as I ever got with wood carving, I transformed through the power of fire and a hammer. Mm. A stick of metal mm. into a pointy stick of metal. <laughs> well, at least you got a point on it. It wasn't just <laughs> yes. transmuting it into a lump of metal. <laughs> no, no, it was it was one level above that. Unless that lump of metal you started with was actually a nail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more or less. And I'll be honest, the forge was a microwave. You could have just used a whetstone to sharpen it. <laughs> Honestly, with the intensity of this metal I was using, I could have used a pencil sharpener. <laughs> but nonetheless, I did it. It was great fun. My jam for this month is metallurgy. <laughs> and I'm planning to move to Finland to a little log cabin and become a professional blacksmith who specializes in pointy sticks. There'll be no problem getting toast foley for that then, because you're right next to an ideal toasting environment. <laughs> there you go. That, if nothing else. Well, your nose has been at the anvil this month then. Absolutely. I'm a soot-covered son of the soil, <laughs> as anyone who knows me well will tell you. Yeah. How about you, Mike? How have you earned your, um, your tea break this first month of our brand new year? I can't say I've really earned it tremendously much. I mean, <laughs> pulling back the curtain a little bit, we're, we're recording this kind of midway through January and I'm still in a bit of a post-Christmas lull, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, I did, however, have the opportunity over the Christmas period to listen to that Caroline Shaw record you recommended. Oh, excellent. I would love to know your thoughts. And I have to thank you wholeheartedly for the recommendation because it is a truly lovely sounding thing. Mm. And it is full of the most dazzling arrangement techniques. 
It's the kind of record that makes me want to rush up to most properties and kind of force it into their hands and go, there, there, there it is. Just listen to it. Like, weep and, and return contrite to your arranging station. No more will you arrange for strings like a keyboard player. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, God. I also loved the fact that the string players are so often playing without vibrato. Mm. You suddenly realise the tremendous sonority that strings have if you just let the chord ring in beautiful tuning as they do. Yeah. And it reminded me, actually, of playing, as I did in school, bizarrely, in a vial consort. Of course you did. Where, where it's fretted so you don't use vibrato. And that wonderful sonority, it really reminded me of that. I'm so glad that you liked it. Mm. So I believe... I'm right in saying that the instruments used are actually early violins, violas, cellos. Really? They're gut strings. Oh, fabulous. Which are more often played without vibrato. So you get that richer, thicker sound. It is a lovely sounding thing. Yeah, I I agree. However, and there is a however, of course. Oh, no. Oh, what a twist. It's a tricky one because even though I love the sound of it and I'm a huge fan of all the arrangement techniques, Mm. I do find myself wondering how much desire I'll have to come back to it, having heard it now a couple of times. Right. Except as a kind of an arrangement like crib sheet, just to get ideas for arrangements. (laughs) Because it just feels like there isn't any real music in there. Interesting. You know, it's got lots of texture and it's got some momentum to it. But I I really miss the sense of any real kind of melody to it. I sound like my dad now. But it's it's got lots of ostinato, but they just don't lead anywhere. Right. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the time when I used to be in charge of Sound on Sound's sample library column. Okay. And so I saw hundreds of sample libraries came through, and I've reviewed a lot of them as well. Mm. And it's like browsing an incredibly good sample library. (laughs) Because you marvel at the thrilling sonics and the thrilling sound design things, Mm. but there's no actual music in there. Mm. And it's quite enjoyable going through a really great sample library, but I wouldn't do it more than once. (laughs) And within that context, the quotations felt like a bit of a sticking plaster. Ah. It's a bit like a parlour game you're playing with yourself the first time you listen to it. You go, oh, oh, I've noticed that. And you've got your ears always out listening for the bit that you recognise. But then I began to feel it was almost like a diversion from the fact that it didn't seem like there was actually any real music in there. Mm, mm. It was a kind of spot the famous piece game to keep you amused while you're listening to the sample <laughs> library. Or it's like film music, which doesn't have the images with it anymore. Right. And you kind of wonder, oh, well, was that the bit where they picked up the sword or, or they or they <laughs> kind of snuck through the door? And you're not really sure, and it doesn't really make a huge amount of sense on its own. So it's, I was really kind of conflicted. Just a really quick note in on there, mm. listeners, in case you missed it, we just got a window into the kind of films Mike watches. Now, for me, <laughs> it's mostly sort of... Russian art, <laughs> cinema, and Korean political dramas. <laughs> but in the Mike Senior Video Library, you've got sneaking through doors and picking up swords. These are the <laughs> dramatic, memorable moments. I, I don't want to go any further into that. I just wanted to, to highlight this as a possible learning opportunity. Oh, I assure you, we are going to delve further into my film-watching habits later in the episode. <laughs> Not oh, long. Exciting. Exciting. <laughs> Look forward to it. I have another bit of follow-up from last month. Brilliant. You know, we were talking about the Walkman. We were. And we both had a certain affection for it. Absolutely. Well, there is a quality to the Sonics that people are nostalgic for as well. Okay. And so recently I discovered a great plug-in cassette emulator. No. From a company called Waves Factory. It's like $60. 
called cassette. Okay. Which emulates two different cassette players and four different types of tape. <laughs> in serious detail. You know, all the wow, the flutter, the compression, the saturation, the noise. Oh, wow. You can adjust the number of erasures that have happened on the tape. How many times you bounce it through the same tape. I think it might rapidly become my favourite distortion processor because it's just such fun to stick on things and like, <laughs> whack the faders around. In theory, that's brilliant, but does it recreate the sound? Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, yes! I thought you'd be pleased about that. I am, and I, I actually I would quite like a copy. I'll be heading over to their shop because I am lacking a warm distorter in my general setup. Oh, okay. I've got really angular, bright, jangly distortions up the wazoo, mm. but when I just want to kind of fuzz something up a little bit, mm. I've got nothing that does that well. Yeah. So a good tape saturation emulator. Well, cassette is good. But if not, I have the perfect solution. Oh, yeah, what's that? If that doesn't do it, yep. try Klanghelm's IVGI2. 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 It's freeware and it's brilliant and it does exactly what you want. Awesome. It is tremendous. One of my favourite distortion plugins. A shout out to them. Because I've just been going through and updating all my freeware recommendations for the website and went through a whole bunch of distortion plugins and that is a cracker. And of course, a huge thanks to our sponsor this month, <laughs> the IVGI freeware software. I'm not sure how that sponsorship works. I think... <laughs> Now, for many people, the uh, recent holiday was an opportunity to enjoy one of the festive season's big cinema releases. Oh, absolutely. And I myself, during the Christmas period, saw both Frozen 2 and Star Wars Episode 9. Oh my goodness me, so you are up to date on the zeitgeist, is what you're telling me here. The saga ended for me. Wait, is that going to be the last one? Well, I mean, I saw a full-page ad in the week, which is the paper I get my, all my current affairs from, mm -hmm. and the full-page ad just said, This Christmas... The saga will end. My first thought was, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd love to see that ad with the yeah, right, put it in there in the Star Wars font. Yeah. But tell me, John, did you head to the cinema at all over Christmas? I did. I saw Parasites. Okay. Which is a new Korean film. Oh, yes. I've heard about it. About one family kind of taking over the life of another one, yeah. It's incredible. It's just brilliant to the point that anything I tell you about it will do it a disservice. Yeah. Is it a political allegory? Yes, but not in a preachy, boring way. Every time you think you've got a handle on what it's saying, it throws you a curveball. It mm. shows sympathetic characters to be more complicated than that. Is it an art film? Absolutely. But I was laughing through like a good two thirds of it hard. Is it wow. a thriller? Well, sure, but it's not cheap. It's not there for the thrills. It's saying something. It's screaming something. And you get the impression at the end. And this is such a valuable thing for me. Yeah. In art, in music, in, in cinema, in theatre, you get the impression that there is no way of summarising it because mm. the point that it was trying to make could only really be made in this way. Wow. By this film, by going and sitting down for two and a half hours and watching it. That's a hell of a recommendation. It's one of those films that you go around telling other people to see just so you've got more people to go, whoa, yeah. with about it. It's sort of the, the flea bag of current films for me. But you didn't see any other films than that? Nothing else. Well, I have to say, I am disappointed in you, John. Are you? As... <laughs> As a devotee of musical theatre in all its forms, mm. that you didn't rush out, <laughs> run from your house, 
on the first possible opportunity to see the recent film adaptation of one of the most successful and iconic musicals of all time. <laughs> like, I love Frozen. The, the fourth longest running show ever. Wait, that's earned... Three billion dollars over the last forty years. Oh God! It is, of course. Oh God! You didn't, <laughs> cats. No, <laughs> I, I did not see it. Okay, thank God. You mean to tell me that you don't love it? That it isn't dear to your heart? Okay. Wow. Andrew Lloyd Webber is a funny one for me. He is mercilessly recommended you know when people find out that you're into musical theatre much in the same way that your grandmother might discover that you're a, a composer um, and therefore send you electric guitar birthday cards yes. for the rest of eternity <laughs> oh that's a, that's a fabulous analogy <laughs> thank you <laughs> or it's like when you find out that someone in your family plays golf <laughs> then all of a sudden all those things in the gift shops suddenly become useful yes. you know golf yes. mugs and sure. mouse mats with golfers on them and things <laughs> yeah so I will say only that while I haven't seen the film either <laughs> if all the reviews are true I don't think it has done much damage mm. to the artistic legacy of the original Cats musical <laughs> well I had to say I share your view of the musical I've never really understood its appeal. Mm. But knowing that you were such a great fan of it, mm. I figured that I'd take this opportunity to fill your cup of schadenfreude to the brim <laughs> and just fill in some of the details about the reception of this film. Oh, yes, please. Which has been catastrophic. Way at the first pun. <laughs> Ring the bell. This is despite a vast pool of talent. Mm. I mean, it's eye-watering. Yeah. You've got, I mean, just on the acting side, you've got Judy Dench, Ian McKellen, Idris Elba, Jennifer Hudson, <laughs> some kind of slightly more B-listy people like James Corden, Rebel Wilson, and Ray Winston, who <laughs> I didn't see in any of the publicity. Apparently he's in there oh too. Oh my God. Oh my, how do you mess this up? You've got pop people. You've got like Jason Derulo and Taylor Swift in it. You've got two principal dancers from the Royal Ballet, Frank Jessica Howard and Stephen McRae. Oh, my God. You've got Lay Twins, who are this astonishing hip-hop dance duo. You've got Andy, I think Andy Frankenbuehler is his name? No! Who choreographed Hamilton. Oh, my God. The director is Tom Hooper, who did The King's Speech and the Lay Miz musical that we've poured school on before, but his last <laughs> three films have all won Oscars. Right. And despite all of these things, and one of the most successful musicals of all time... They managed to cock it up. <laughs> the first thing was that the trailer was truly awful. Yep. I saw it when we saw Frozen 2. Oh, really? And it was widely ridiculed on online and everything, yep. Uh, largely because of the really, really weird CGI thing. Mm -hmm. They had used the CGI to create cat-human kind of chimeras, <laughs> but they couldn't quite decide how far to go. Yep. So you get the human face and body shape, mm -hmm. and then you get this kind of CGI fur, yeah. mobile cat ears, and mobile cat tail. Oh, dear. So it, it's not that they're wearing a costume, but they're this kind of human-cat hybrid thing. Mm -hmm. It resulted in this tremendous uncanny valley effect, because you look at it and you start asking yourself things like, well, how come... They have human breasts, oh, but wow. not nipples or genitals. Well, who knows what Cats is really about, but I don't think those are the questions that T.S. Eliot was trying to really drill down to. Oh, God, when he wrote, wrote those little poems. It just makes no sense. I mean, it's neither a really convincing furry creature nor a costume. Right. And it also then, it makes nonsense to so many other things too, like some of the like sensual cat 
dance gyrations they're doing mm. become really, really disturbing when <laughs> these are completely smooth, crotched creatures. <laughs> oh. And then, to top it all, some of the cats are wearing clothes on top. Wait, but so wait, all of the cats are? No, 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 some of them. And sometimes they take them off too. So you think, are they now nude? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is that nudity now? And even better, some of the clothes are fur coats. No! No! <laughs> And in fact, no, this is a grisly apocalyptic vision. (laughs) Like Grizabella, the one who sings the famous song Memory, appears to be wearing the remnants of two or three cat fur coats. Oh, God. Oh, my God. You just got to consider the optics, haven't you? You've got to. But you see, I think in all the ridicule that's been heaped on that element of the CGI, it also looks really amateurish because you know how we've got so used with, with all the Marvel films and stuff? Mm. How the characters move naturally when they jump or they, even when they fly magically. Yeah. The ballistics have been sorted out. Whereas if you look at the trailer, have you seen the trailer to Cats? I have. I absolutely have. There are bits where it's clear that you're seeing slightly dodgy wire work. Right. I mean, it's like that bit in Mary Poppins <laughs> where she does that big long pirouette for the chimney sweep. Yes, yes, I know the one. And there are bits that look like that. <laughs> you go, how far have we got? I wonder if they're trying to capture that kind of stage musical feeling because wires are big in like big budget. One would assume. It has to be intentional. You can't throw that much money at something. <laughs> And just have mistakes, can you? Well, can you? Well, it's funny you should mention this because their second wrong foot. Oh dear! They shipped the film before they'd actually finished it. Wait, what? There were bits of the CGI that were not there. Oh my god! There are there are like screen grabs people took, which show like Judy Dench playing Old Deuteronomy, where you can see that one of her hands hasn't had CGI applied to it. And it's a human hand with a wedding ring on it and everything. Oh, my God. <laughs> they recalled it oh. two days after its release and said, oh, please download an updated version which fixed these things that have gone wrong with the CGI. I, I didn't know films had <laughs> updates these days. I'm used to that on every app that I own. Please, please download the latest version. Apparently, this has never before been done in CGI movie history. I'm not surprised and hopefully never again. What? <laughs> that is remarkable. And even... Even when it was fixed, Mm. it proved to be even worse than everyone expected. (sighs) It was absolutely mauled by the critics. I mean, in the words of one review, I've had my very favourite review. Prejudging cats based on the widely ridiculed trailers wouldn't be fair, especially once you realise they did it a lot of (laughs) (laughs) favours. Oh, dear. Now, you know me, John. I think most people know me that I don't generally consider myself to be an unkind person by nature. I wouldn't say so. But there is something immensely satisfying about reading a well-warranted critical kicking. It, no, it's true. It's schadenfreude. It, it's not our best quality as humans, but but damn it if it isn't hardwired. And so I've had just altogether too much fun <laughs> going around collecting various different opinions of this film. I thought I'd read you a few highlights here. Yes, please. That sounds... I would love to bask in the light of their disgust. (laughs) The New York Times apparently did a review in verse. No. Which included the line, A dreadful hairball of woe. (laughs) Variety came up with... One of those once-in-a-blue-moon embarrassments that mars the resumes of great actors. Francesca Hayward displays one expression for the entire movie. 
<laughs> now, it's funny because I thought this was such a funny review that I followed it up on the Variety vlog. This is for Variety. Mm. On the vlog, they had an interview with the reviewer. Mm. And he was saying how he began to smell a rat when he realised that the film company was serving alcohol before the press screenings. He thought, <laughs> yeah, I think they're worried. Yeah, I'm sure. There was also this disturbing nature to some of it. Right. You know, the Boston Globe said, um, there are moments in Cats I would gladly pay to unsee. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow. And he actually warned young children not to watch the film. One reviewer recommended that it should have an 18 certificate because it was so disturbing to watch. What are the disturbing... Is it just this uncanny valley thing? Is it the cats wearing cats? Which I, I would agree. It's the kind of the sensual dancing with these weird kind of freakish creatures. Right. And people have been making lots of the kind of sexual suggestivity of the cat's tails, often like perk up at certain moments. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nightmare. <laughs> Possibly my favourite short quote for this was uh, the Detroit News, which said, um, Cats is the biggest disaster of the decade and possibly thus far in the millennium. It's battlefield earth with whiskers. (laughs) 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 That sums it up. How marvellous. Oh, it's so good. Speaking of short reviews, Mm. my favourite short critical review uh, is in fact two words long. And it was from The Times for Revenge of the Sith. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. And to be honest, it wasn't even two full words. The review read thus. Anag, full stop, Sith. Anagram of Sith. Sith is spelled (laughs) S-I-T-H. So, (laughs) 12-year-old me took a minute. Pure economy. That is absolutely wonderful. Now, I have filtered out some of the best bits from the reviews, but for me, the best review I've held up for last because there's one whole review that I would recommend trying to get a hold of and reading from the Daily Telegraph. Oh, yeah. Tim Roby. Okay. <laughs> gave it his first zero star review in 10 years <laughs> <laughs> under the title A Sinister All Time Disaster from Which No One Emerges Unscathed. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Let me just pull out some of my choicest moments, right? Please do. It is an all-time disaster, a rare and star-spangled calamity which will leave jaws littered across floors and ancients unemployed. A computer-aided hellscape so off-putting you may suspect eye failure. (laughs) When Jennifer Hudson hobbles in amateurishly for a double-the-pathos reprise of memory, my adjacent colleague was reduced to a senseless, (laughs) cackling wreck for a full minute. Oh no! It's fabulous. I loved it. Especially when you read the cast to me. That you've got Ian McCann, you've got Judy Dench, you've got Idris Elba. I would pay to go and see a movie in which the cast and the choreographers, pop stars and James Corden, who for all he's done since then was incredible in One Man, Two Governors, mm. where they are all invited to have dinner together. Yes. Wearing small radio mics. And they change seats between each course. Yep. And it's a two and a half hour long dinner. And it's just edited together some of their chattings. I would love that film. I would absolutely <laughs> I go I see that film. What a huge range of experiences. <laughs> what a wealth of knowledge. And how much better you'd get from that budget spend. <laughs> I mean, here, they spent like 90 million on it, I think, and at the current moment, they've made 60 million in box office. No! Wikipedia was estimating they've lost between 70 and 100 million on the film in total. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's a box office bomb. Yeah. I mean, you know, some things that people have pilloried have actually gone on to make lots of money, but not this one. (laughs) I was going to say, although, you know, you've got to wonder because you never, ever know. I mean, it almost (laughs) makes me want to go and see it, (laughs) but it's so bad, the trailer. 
that I kind of think, no, mm. even for the amusement value, it's not worth... I don't want to pay the money. I just don't want to encourage them. No, no. It's like, when it comes out for free on Netflix, then maybe I'll watch it. I tell you what, when it comes out on Netflix, I am going to skip through it. Yes. That's going to be my personal vibe. I am going to scan my way through to see, I don't know, Judy Dench in one bit and Taylor Swift in one <laughs> Double bit. speed. Speaking as an absolute schadenfreude addict, yeah. I do just have to take a minute to wonder how awful it must have been to be a second or third level creative director of some kind of on the film and just watching it go downhill. Totally. That feeling as the huge expensive vase starts to tip over and you realise this is only going to end one way, but you still have a year to work on the film. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do. It is that horrible string quartet playing on the Titanic, isn't it? Yes. And I mean, imagine being a, a colour grader or a sound mixer and you're you're just having to put huge amounts of detailed, attentive work oh, God, yeah. into something which you know is Awful. And no matter how good your work on it is, you'll probably be tarred with the brush of it being an awful film. It's a bit like if you record something really shoddily and it becomes a massive hit, then you're assumed to be a good engineer. <laughs> it's the opposite effect. Yes, it's that in the other direction, isn't it? Good afternoon, my son. How long has it been since your last confession? <laughs> is the new way I've decided to start the facepalm section because it is a kind of catharsis. It is. Owning up to another idiotic thing I did. <laughs> um, so here, here we go. Here's this one. Um, this is about two and a half years ago now. I was composing for a musical mm. and musicals tend to have a very predictable structure. Mm, mm. It's true of old musicals and a lot of new musicals. The first song will be the Happy Village song. <laughs> okay. The Happy Village song establishes the status quo. Mm. So it's the circle of life in The Lion King. Okay. It's that song where they're all cutting ice and stuff in Frozen. Yes. It's literally a song about a happy village in Moana. <laughs> <laughs> the second song is always the I Want song. And the protagonist yeah. reveals some deep-seated lack, some hole, some urge, some desire that they've got. So we're talking ah. part of your world. We're talking, I just can't wait to be king. We're talking, do you want to build a snowman? Yeah. We're talking... Um, the one in Moana. <laughs> the, the lead single from Moana. Um, da -da -da, yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah, oh god. Oh, I can't. But incidentally, did you know who wrote that song, the hit single from Moana? No. It's bloody Lin Manuel Miranda again. Oh god. The same guy who wrote Hamilton. Inescapable. It's going to turn out that he did air on a g-string one day. <laughs> I don't know how, but it is, and it's going to be horrible. Leave us some scraps. I know. Just a little something here and there. <laughs> anyway, so after we've got those two established, the Happy Village and the I Want song. Uh, then we, we have a villain song, mm. which just introduces the villain. All right, okay. And the fourth song in every musical is a love song. Okay. So, can you feel the love tonight? Frozen kind of turns that one on its head, but it's kind of for the first time in forever. Mm -hmm. Maria in, in West Side Story. And those are the four songs. Wow. I know, I know. Carry this with you, and it's going to bug you for like the next week and a half. You go, oh yeah. <laughs> You've ruined me. <laughs> <laughs> 
You've got the goggles on now. You can see the truth behind everything. The things that my kids are always bugging me about whenever we listen to a pop single, I go, oh, drop chorus coming up. <laughs> now that's going to happen. You've just done that to me with musicals. That's exactly, yes. You couldn't have said it better. That is exactly the superpower you now have with musicals or the grave, grave curse. Mm. You will see it all now. Those are the four songs. Then the second half is reprises. There's less songs in a musical second half because you've got to do all the dramatic nonsense. Yeah. Songs aren't great for moving plot forward. They're useful for introducing character and situations. So second half, there'll be less songs. You will just have, you know, some of the songs coming back. Mm. And then at the end, you'll have a reprise of Happy Village with the kind of the new status quo. Of course, yes. All of this is to say, in this musical, I'd written four songs. Okay. And I was still on on the clock for about two and a half weeks. So I was just twiddling my thumbs a bit. Right. So this facepalm is a cautionary tale about staying in your lane. Okay. It's a hymn of respect. You wrote a hymn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was a media mistake, wasn't it? Actually, the happy village for that musical was already a hymn. um, Because it was set in a very religious... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was... It was okay. great fun. I got to use my Bach chorale harmonising lessons from oh, wow. 12 years ago. It's <laughs> like a bonus, isn't it? <laughs> it was. Anyhow, this is a hymn of respect to a technical profession mm. that we always use, but I don't know that we've ever even mentioned in 22 episodes Wow! on this podcast. Because this production happened to have a huge workshop, a well-provisioned workshop. And as alluded to by my new career as a blacksmith, I love making things. (laughs) Yeah. Just kind of hammering and knocking together. Yeah. And so I decided I'd just like bash together a box, stick some nails in it. I was going to make an instrument. I decided that I was a luthier. (laughs) I decided I was a luthier because I was bored. And I decided that alone might qualify me for Lutherism. Very closely related to Lutheranism. <laughs> exactly. So the hymn and the practice, they're very intertwined. Yeah. So there I was, and I, I, I did it. I made a little box, mm. stuck a couple of bits of wood in it, yeah. put wires over the top, nailed them in at one end, screwed in at the other end so that the screws could be turned to adjust the tension, mm. took it through to the uh, to the director, and we kind of played a little bit with it. And there was this one, this brilliant character in it, um, the vicar's daughter, and she was very silly and very fun. We decided to give this instrument to her, that, that she had made it, and that she could use it to sing her song. Mm. The actress learnt the part very quickly. Everything was great. But all of which is to say, the instrument was now part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, as to be said, when she was learning, when I was showing it to the director, it wasn't really in tune. The bridge kept falling over. But I said to them, hey, look... I've just had an afternoon on this. Give me an hour to iron out the issues and it will be fine. Oh, my Lord. Mike, it never worked that well again. (laughs) Never. (laughs) For the entirety of the show. Oh, my God. If I used thin strings that could be kept at a lower tension, then there was just no volume at all. If I went to thicker (laughs) wires, then the the irregularities came out and they would snap because it was a high tension or they would pull the bridges over. Couldn't figure out what angle to put the bridges on. I glued the bridges on at one point and they just pulled up part of the bodies. These screws totally lost their grip on the wood from the number of times we tried to tighten them and untighten them. It was incredibly susceptible to any temperature changes or being looked at funny. It was the worst instrument ever made. I mean, surely no one looked at it funny. (laughs) I'm glad you didn't 
don't suffer from that problem. It was a monster. <laughs> it was my hubris personified in a Pandora's box of awfulness. <laughs> and my punishment, my karmic punishment for this is that actually I spent most of the rest of the um, rehearsal process in that workshop trying to get that bloody instrument to work. Yes. And I couldn't. So in, in the dress rehearsal, the director said, look, we have to just rework the song now. Instead of singing the extremely beautiful lyrical tune that you wrote that I loved, that I was so proud of. I have this Andrew Lloyd Webber number that you like. <laughs> I think we can just drop it in. <laughs> he said the instrument is going to sound like someone screaming. She just needs to scream it. <laughs> so my melody was thrown aside and I felt so bad for her as well because she has a beautiful singing voice. But instead, <laughs> she just didn't like this. And, <laughs> and I broke. It killed me, Mike. Oh, anyway, no. that's where my false pride took me on that occasion. <laughs> Now, this month's Q&A is actually one of my own Ooh. that I'm very interested to hear your opinions about because I actually don't have that much to say about it. Okay. I was racking my brains. Anyway, the question is, what is the best careers advice you've ever received? Mm -hmm. I really struggle to think of any careers advice I ever had that was worth a damn. Mm. So are there particularly bad pieces of advice that stick out in your mind? I, nothing particularly. I just remember... Going to, like, careers advisors and careers departments in school and college and stuff and just feeling that nothing appealed. Right. And also, in hindsight, thinking that everything that was suggested or recommended was nothing like what I actually do for a living. I just had no idea that I could earn a living in the way I earn a living. <laughs> it all seemed aimed at, like, standardised, like, full-time jobs mm. and, and in big companies and stuff. I mean, inevitably, because they usually funded the career facilities, you know. Right, yeah. So they pushed that kind of stuff. But, you know, even they, I think even then they had a, like, a questionnaire-based thing that told you what kind of careers you might be appropriate for. And it was just, like, hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> no use whatsoever. No. I mean, I've definitely been given some some very good advice, some of which I have even taken. Oh, wow. Yes, it, it's much rarer. <laughs> Brush your teeth twice a day seems to me more or less the best <laughs> advice for any human out there. Never eat yellow snow. Never eat yellow snow. That's another good one. <laughs> I think for me, it was a singing teacher who um, imposed on me the absolute importance of social connections. Okay. And he encouraged me to never be isolationist. Mm. He, I mean, he's a very analytical person. And he pointed out that if I come across this great job that I want to apply for, I should tell everyone I know about it and they should apply as well. Okay, that's, that's interesting, right. And this is for two reasons. The only way that hurts me is if I'm in second place and they're in first place. Yep. Statistically, that's very unlikely that I come immediately below. The fact that I don't get it is very possible. The fact that they get it, one of the people I've recommended, is very possible. Mm. But the fact that I am not picked and the only people above me are people I have encouraged to apply is minuscule. Yeah, yeah. So he so said that's number one. Number two is that sometimes it's even better for someone you know to get the job. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have to do the work, but of course you will go and visit them. You'll go and see the final work. Oh. You'll be introduced as the person who suggested they apply in the first place. Who had the tremendous insight into the world that you knew such a great candidate. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, 19-year-old me was very like, God, that sounds so 
transactional. That sounds so Machiavellian. That sounds so real politic. And he, he took real umbrage with that. Yeah. And he said, no, no, no. What's Machiavellian is hiding these things from your friends. Okay, yeah. All I have described is being generous and open with your friends and being interested in the things they do and the people they're doing them with. I totally get that. You need to let go of the competitive feeling. It is collaborative. Yeah. And the more you believe that, the better it will be for you. That's great advice. That whole thing of basically just keep giving stuff without thinking whether you're going to gain anything from it, which is basically, by extension, what he was saying. Yeah. It's like, if something comes up, share it, and everyone will be a winner. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's really powerful. I like that. God, I wish I'd had something like that when I, when I was younger. <laughs> Funny enough, casting my mind back, I think probably the best careers advice I got by kind of proxy was just that I was expected to do some work experience. Oh, yeah. Because at the high school age, I was planning to go and read pure chemistry and get into chemistry and chemical engineering things. Mm -hmm. And I think it was one Easter holiday or something, just spending a few weeks working in a couple of different chemistry-related companies put me off doing a chemistry degree <laughs> and told me that really I wanted to get into, into doing a music degree. And that kind of changed my trajectory entirely. So Amazing. in that respect, I suppose the advice might be if you want to find out whether you want to do something, actually go to where your choice of study is actually going to end you up in. Right, yeah, yeah. He said, loquaciously. <laughs> <laughs> Can we please have someone cross-stitch that? I really want to see a wool hanging with a verbatim reproduction. I'm a professional media pundit, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good point. And that's a very, very good idea. But again... That can be difficult when you're not dealing with a full-time employed by a company living. Mm. For example, someone thinking, I think I would love to become a journalist, mixer, recorder, engineer, mm. and mm. you know, world-famous podcaster. <laughs> it's going to be more difficult to find someone with, with that exact mix of irons in the fire. Mm. Sorry, that's an expression I use now that I'm a blacksmith. Of course, yeah. Um, it means activities that you're involved mm, in. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Maybe it's a bit easier to get experience there, though, because people who have ended up in those positions realise how difficult it is. Right. This is something I always found with um, really, really famous engineers, mm. was how willing they were to, like, give you advice and to be asked questions and to take time to kind of discuss things with you. Mm. And I think a big part of that was just this feeling that they have, that they're indebted to the generation before them for doing the same with them. For taking that time. Yeah. Because there was no standard career path. It wasn't there as much. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is one bit of advice that I've internalized so much that I don't know who was the first person to tell it to me. Okay. But I'm pretty sure it was when I first started working in studios and I don't credit myself with being able to coin such a neat turn of phrase. So I'm pretty sure it wasn't me. Okay. And the advice was, the man who pays the bill is God. Okay, break that one apart for me. And it's, it's basically just this sense that you're in a service industry. And right. if someone is paying you to be there in the studio, then whatever it is that they need doing is your job to do. Is your job in that moment. Basically. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That is something that has served me well in a general sense, in just having that service attitude to it. Mm -hmm. 
And the only other one I can remember is one that I heard a bit later when working at SOS from Paul Farrer. Do you know the name Paul Farrer? I don't know. He's a kind of media music guy who really hit the bid time when he did the music for The Weakest Link. Oh, okay. Because it took him a long time before that call came through. Yeah. And uh, his advice, pretty much above everything else, was never, ever change your phone number. (laughs) (laughs) Which which I think is such a wonderfully practical piece of advice. Mm. That sense that you want to do a good job and you want to leave people with a good impression of you, but you always need to make sure that they can find you when they have that opportunity to give you. Yes. Oh, goodness me. That reminds me of a painful personal episode where I missed the chance at at quite a good job. Oh, no. Because the email went to my spam folder. Was it the one you told me about? in the face palm. Now, which was that? With the guy you were meant to meet for coffee and then... Oh! <laughs> <laughs> no! Believe it or not, no. God, that was my relearn of the lesson. It was another one. You are spam afflicted. I'm absolutely cursed. Mm, um, mm. This was an opera job and just didn't see the email. Ooh. And now I have a, a weekly reminder, which I don't know how long it's been on my computer for, oh, but wow. a weekly reminder to just go through my spam emails. <laughs> And, and I do, because it is not worth missing them. Yeah, I totally get that. But I think, yeah, that follows for me from just don't change your phone number. <laughs> just be findable, be easily locatable for when someone needs to. Hmm. A lesson I'm still learning, okay, which actually first got put into words for me by Julie Andrews, my partner. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Was it that you should take a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down? <laughs> <laughs> the medicine go down. Yes, the, the medicine go down. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't. It was. <laughs> it's very easy to grow up with an idea of what hard work looks like and what laziness looks like and what productivity looks like mm-hmm. and what dossing off looks like. Mm-hmm. Hold it right there. Hold it right there. Yes. I really hope this is going to be a validation. <laughs> 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 and it turns I can, out I can see a potential validation looming on the horizon. I'm, I'm just hoping against hope. Um, and to recognize that lying on the floor listening to an album mm. is work time. That going to the pub or going to a friend's studio mm. and getting high on life yes. and playing music all evening is work time. <laughs> and if sometimes it's also just great fun and silly, then that's super. Mm. But there have been times in my life when I've resisted that, when I haven't gone to the pub with director friends because I thought to myself, no, I need to work. And working ah. is sitting at my computer or working is playing scales. Yeah, yeah. And I will feel guilty if I go to Ellie's studio and we just make three silly songs together Mm. and I don't think that serves me I don't think that has been an intelligent allocation of resources right I think that's just been me trying to match myself to this televised idea of what work has to look like yeah I don't know if you've had that experience at all I know exactly what you mean with that and it's particularly true in relation to the freelance existence. Mm. You kind of feel like you have to be able to point to something and say, ah, oh, that's the bit of work I did, rather than going, I've somehow developed intangibly over the last day that I haven't done anything that you can point at. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think there is something more useful rather than sending out probably another CV. If I were just to say, you know what, no, I'm going to listen to... This week, I'm going to listen to all of Beethoven's symphonies, one a day. Mm. Or something which actually was one of the best pieces of musical advice I've ever got is that it takes practice 
to hear a piece of music that's not from your time or your country. Okay. I was first given this advice in in relation to Mozart, but I found it true in lots of other places. You listen to a classical piece, and if it just sounds a bit nice, mm. you just listen to it again. And then a third time, and then a fourth time. And you will start to actually hear what it's communicating. Yep. Because you've got to learn the language. I see what you mean, yeah. So probably even for me, even more valuable than going through all of Beethoven's symphonies is to listen to one of them every day for a week. And then some of it sticks. Yeah, and like you say, this intangible development, the next thing I write (laughs) will have something in it. But also, this actually links back to what you were saying before that I think is brilliant advice. Oh, thank you. That the fact that you may end up knowing that first Beethoven symphony better than your average person might mean that the next time you meet up with someone, you will be able to connect with them on that basis and they will know that you're the kind of person who has listened to a Beethoven symphony more than once. Absolutely. It has the potential to say something about you in some kind of connection with with someone you're you're meeting in future i don't know yeah it's recent advice and i'm still trying to learn it but i for one am ready to embrace it wholeheartedly (laughs) (laughs) in fact retrospectively (laughs) i think you can retrospectively apply i think you absolutely can and should because it's as much about how you feel about how you spend your time as how you spend your time i'm feeling more career focused at every moment <laughs> i hear sarcasm in your words michael but i think i think there is deep truth there that there are productive looking things which are no use at all and lazy looking things which are actually extremely productive hmm. <laughs> that's a smirk we're on skype listeners you can't see this but there is a hint of a smirk and knowing smirk on mike senior's face no not at all i'm totally in there this is preaching to the choir on this one i'm 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 dead happy <laughs> with that idea i would love to hear from any listeners mm. who felt they have been given some particularly true some particularly false mm. career advice in any kind of music related field i just found myself drawing a blank i would actually be really interested to hear if people had genuinely been been their their lives have been changed by a bit of careers advice What's that email again, Mike? It is T-break at Project... Hang on, is it? <laughs> I've completely Sorry, lost my... I bounced on you out of nowhere there. That was unfair. <laughs> we normally do this at the end of the show. Okay, so well, drop these gems or swine to us on um, facebook.com forward slash books or twitter.com forward slash tweets. Or email us at, go on Mike, second try, at tbreak at projectstudiotbreak.com. There you go. Or pop them on the back of a postcard. I don't know, file it away under podcasts or something. Copy it into your email and email it to us. And as we contemplate the dregs, the leavings, the leaves of our cups of tea, as we reach that slightly cold bottom segment, it occurs to us (laughs) it might be the time for a little spot of toast with jam. Mm. So here to bring in our toast is this month's Toast Foley. Hmm. An intriguing toast. (laughs) I noticed you just slipped your headphone off one ear to get the full... Was it just that the latency was interfering with your appreciation of it? <laughs> this one is close to my heart. I wanted to really nail it. So give me your Mike Senior review of that particular bit of Toast Foley. Oh, I don't know. It had a certain woody sonority to it. Woody sonority? Yeah, it did. Where would you put its kind of accuracy? Um, 
I didn't get that much of a sense of the rough toasted exterior. I think this is only lightly toasted. Oh, you know how sometimes you toast it and it's not quite crispy. Okay, yeah, no, I quite like that. Mm. I actually do quite enjoy lightly toasted sandwich bread. Well, this one, which I'm just going to say, is incredibly accurate. And if it doesn't sound like that to you, <laughs> listeners, then you have to blame our editor. Uh, postcards to Mike Senior because <laughs> it is incredibly good. This is a, a the the tube of a and I want to be very clear about this clean Q-tip. Okay, right. Struck against forged construction steel, oh! about one point seven percent carbon content that uh, that John forged yesterday <laughs> in a freaking forge in the local blacksmith. So it is our first cyberpunk toast phony, basically. <laughs> Yes, no, no, this is, uh, this is um, rustic idyll. This is pastoral toast foley. You went medieval on its ass. I absolutely <laughs> did. <laughs> oh, exceptional. Which means we have our buttered toast and I bring you a song which has been three distinct things to me over the course of my life. The song is Town Without Pity. Okay. Famously recorded by Gene Pitney. It's a 1961 song. Mm -hmm. And I discovered this song because it was the first track on a mixtape my big sister made for me uh, when I was about seven years old. Wow. It was a mixtape of songs recorded from my favorite radio station, Oldies 100. 100.3 FM, Washington, uh, when we were living in the States. Oh, right. At that point, it was one of the boring ones. It was another <laughs> bloody love song. It was the one you kind of fast-forwarded past to get to the ones you liked. Genuinely, yes. It told you which side of the tape you were on, because the label had probably worn off. <laughs> but once you realised what side you were on, you'd know, oh, I've got to fast-forward about three seconds and I'll get to the next one, yeah. I mean, it shows my impatience to get through it, because it, the recording actually started halfway through this song. <laughs> So I only heard the second half for forever. Um, and it was saccharine and contentless. It basically tells the story of a couple who are in love and the town just doesn't understand them. Right, right. Why do people hurt us so only those in love will know? Mm. Or if we stop to wish upon a star, people talk about how bad we are. <laughs> Ours is not an easy age. We're like tigers in a cage. That lyric did leap out at me, actually. <laughs> I thought, ah, oh, similes are us. He's, <laughs> yes, yeah. he's bought a fresh bag. And my favourite... Um, it is not an easy life. Oh, it cuts me like a knife. <laughs> <laughs> for, for listeners keeping score at home, that's not a lyric from the song, but it could be. Oh, they seem like they're really nice, but they've got those hearts of ice. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting carried away. No, in fact, <laughs> next month's episode has to begin with a list of rhyming couplets. And you've got to tell us if it's Gene Pitney or, you know, us, whether we made it Go up. On, sorry, <clears throat> I'll get back in my box. Go on. So this is a um, pretty standard doo-wop era, 6-8, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And the bridge begins, the young have problems, many problems. And it just struck me as such a sort of thing that someone in their late 50s would think the young wanted to hear, you know, <laughs> hey, hey, we relate. Yeah. Anyway, so this song was nothing to me in my youth. It was this thing I had to get through mm. to get to um to get to the songs I wanted to hear. Okay. And a few weeks ago I rediscovered it. It was just in my head for some reason. I was on a bus in London. Yeah. And Spotify being Spotify. Oh yes. I just looked it up and I found it. 
And now, I appreciate that you have criticisms of the lyrics. No, I wasn't actually criticising them. It's just that particular <laughs> lyric popped out of me. Um, listening to it again, when not being seven years old, and I apologise for the sensibilities of any of our more sensitive listeners, mm. this song is really sexy. Okay. This is an incredibly sexy tune mm. because it is restrained and it is a little bit twee, but that's what it's talking about. It's talking about these desires that aren't able to be ah, expressed. All right. The last verse, you just feel him start to almost be able to express this, take these eager lips and hold me fast. And then we get so fast to how can we keep love alive? How can anything survive? Wow. What a town without pity can do. Mm. Oh God, it's, it's brilliant. It's slickly recorded, beautifully produced. I mean, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on the on the arrangement and the production, especially. I know this is a new song for you today. Well, it's interesting you're saying this because I always tend to ignore lyrics most of the time. Right. And so having listened to it just a couple of times because I didn't know it before, the lyrics... I haven't really paid attention to them in a lot of respects. Yeah. But your interpretation of the lyrics makes sense in terms of my feelings I get from the arrangement. You know, his particular kind of smooching, kind of Lissando-y vocal line. And Mm. it's funny, it it reminds me almost of like a Bond theme, like one of those early Bond themes. It makes me think of like Shirley Bassey. Yes. For that same thing. It's not a harmonically straightforward song. Mm. It's dense chords. And it's interesting movement, which can be a bit hidden by, as you say, this kind of smoochy crooner vocal. Mm. Your ears assume, maybe, that it's just quite a straightforward song. There's a brilliant Wagner quote. Okay. One of his sopranos was singing a particularly tragic aria up on stage and actually burst into tears as she was singing. Oh, right. And Wagner was furious. Wow. And he storms up onto stage and he grabs her by the shoulders. Right. And he says, no, 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 not you. And he points out to the empty chairs and he says, them. Wow. And this is a brilliant old story retold by, you know, intense theatre directors. The world over. The world over, <laughs> yes, is yes, yeah. Who want to, I don't know, some of that Wagnerian fairy dust on them. Yeah. But it's something that I didn't understand at all when I was younger. And I'm beginning to get some appreciation for now. Yeah. That sometimes you can communicate more, not by screaming, but actually by showing restraint when it hurts, mm. when there's so much more that you want to come out. Letting the audience then feel the struggle that you're going through not to show emotion. Yes, absolutely. Isn't it like they say, the people who do the best impressions of being drunk are the ones who are doing the best to try and act like they're not drunk? Yeah, to seem sober. Mm. I think it's got a lot in common. So this was my second experience of this song as a powerful Really, really sexy song. Okay. And it's got these little bends and stuff. And, you know, I'm glad I didn't have that perspective at seven years old. <laughs> but then there's a third. And um, a content warning for, for our listeners, there's some talk of sexual assault um, in this last bit. Because the song wasn't written by Gene Pitney. It was written by a composer called Dimitri Tjomkin. Okay. Um, and a lyricist called Ned Washington. Yep. And it was actually the theme for a film by the same name. And... It's a song about Germany in the 1960s and a group of American soldiers who rape a German girl. Oh, wow. And this is an extremely prescient film because fearing a riot from local people, these American soldiers are brought into trial, a public trial. Yeah. And their defence 
brings up that this woman wasn't in fact an angel. Right. In, in his words, that she had had boyfriends in the past. Yeah. So is it any surprise? Yeah. Can she really say yeah. it was against her will? Yeah. All this sort of things. Her character is called into question. And she's struggling with this public scrutiny so much. She leaves and she commits suicide in the river where the original assault happened. Blimey. And the film is played out with this song. Whoa. What a town without pity can do. That's layers upon layers. And lyrics which at first seemed twee and then just seemed sexy. Wow. When we stop to gaze upon a star, people talk about how bad we are. Ours is not an easy age. I mean... It's been an object lesson for me in the importance of context. Crumbs. That is so powerful. Yeah. It's like one of those films that you see where you get right to the end and you realise you've been watching the wrong thing and you have to watch it straight again. Yeah. It's like or like, like Memento or, or mm-hmm. Primer or there, there are various films like this that you go, oh my God, I've completely been looking at the wrong stuff. That it's been there all along, but you just haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. And what's strange, I would recommend this song as all of the above. Mm. It can play in the background just fine. Yeah. It can play as a brilliant pop song. I think it can stand the listening. Mm. And it's also a critique. It's also a burning critique Wow. on the treatment of women in the 1960s. I mean, in this case, in occupied Germany, but I think it's applicable beyond that. Yeah. So the song, again, is A Town Without Pity by Gene Pitney. And I'm going to try and track down a copy of the film. Mm. The song has outlasted it. But whether that's because the film was of low quality, which is very possible, or just because it talks about stuff that no one wanted to hear about at the time, I don't know. But yeah, I'm I'm not finished my journey with this song by a long shot. Now, you sent me the YouTube thing um, in advance of our recording thing, and I couldn't resist quickly sneaking onto Wikipedia and um, checking out Gene Pitney because I, it's not someone I'm tremendously familiar with. Oh, and there was just one diamond little factoid on there that I thought you might want to know about. Yes, please. I'm excited. <laughs> Uh, apparently, yeah, his first band in high school yes. was called Gene and the Genials, <laughs> which is truly one consonant from catastrophe. <laughs> and in a high school of all places. Oh, wow. It's like no poster would be safe. <laughs> Gene and the Genials. For heaven's sake. I would have been there with a Sharpie. That's just asking for it. <laughs> It only remains for me then to um, thank our sponsor. Who have we got this month, Mike? Now, John, have you ever used a pair of those noise cancelling headphones? I have used a pair of those noise cancelling headphones. In fact, I have a pair just down to my left. Uh, it's an obvious need to be able to cancel out background noise so that you can enjoy your music in peace. Undeniably so. Well, UK company Lateral Listening have created a related product mm-hmm. which plugs the obvious, I mean, I'm sure it must be obvious to you, gap in the market uh-huh. with their new tune chiller headphones. Okay. Now, we've all been there. You're in a shop, you're in a cafe, mm-hmm. you're trying to read your paper, get some work done, read a book, yeah. and there's that annoying MOR rock track blazing through the tannoy. Mm-hmm. Well, lateral listening through their clever phase-cancelling technology have managed to work out how to eliminate the music before it reaches your ears, <laughs> leaving you with pristine, unblemished background noise. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, I mean, the applications are obvious. <laughs> so, so wait, to be very clear, though, Mike, this is an everything except noise cancelling headphone is, yeah. is what you are it's what you are describing. <laughs> That's the one, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the applications are obvious. You know, it's great if you're enjoying an audio book or a podcast. You can do that without a conflicting underscore. Or 
if you just want to preserve your sanity while shopping anywhere during the Christmas period. Okay, all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm beginning to see these. <laughs> the appeal is increasing. Yeah. So uh, head over to www.killthattune.com <laughs> and uh, plug in the code breakers to get the 20% promo price. Thank you so very much, lateral <laughs> listening. That's food for thought for certain. <laughs> and do you have anything to plug this month, John? I do have one thing to plug. Uh, this month, you can get your tickets to not see me in The Wicker Husband <laughs> at the Watermill Theatre in Newbury. Uh, you will actually see, presumably, a pit that I will be in. Mm, mm. Um, do come over and wave in the interval, I suppose. Um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm in the pit for the duration of that one. So that is going up from the beginning of March at the Watermill Theatre in Newbury. If we manage to get a breaker there, I'll buy you a drink in the bar afterwards. That would be amazing for me. <laughs> so yeah, thanks to our sponsor. Thanks to Mike. Never been sure how to finish this show. <laughs> Three, two, one. Ta-ra! Ta-ra, <laughs> <laughs>